Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here at the college in our uh, studio, um, if we want to call it that, and we are going to be recording today. Uh, excited to have uh, a guest with us. As you may have picked up by now, we are big fans of the Wisconsin Lutheran High School Theology Department. Um, Mike has one kid there. Are you still claiming her? Yeah. Yes. Um, and we'll have two next year. So you have a sophomore, Mike? Yep. No, junior. Junior, and you'll have a senior and a freshman next year. Yep. And I have a senior, a sophomore, and a freshman who I may be claiming, depending on how they behave today. <laughs> I already ran by our guest, my son's behavior. And I got a look, but not anything too too worrying. So that was good. Um, but we are joined here in the studio um, with Pastor Hebner, who is the campus pastor for Wisconsin Lutheran High School and also teaches in their, you call it theology department, not yep. religion, right? <clears throat> theology department. And we're going to be talking about some of his doctoral work that he did. We'll let him tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. Um, but children in the church, what to do with children in the church, and this can range from um, the very littlest or as they grow. Um, he's written for our synods. Uh, is it, was it preach the word or was it the uh, worship the Lord? Worship the Lord um, on the liturgy. Um, a nice series on this as well. Uh, he coaches football, so I've had one son who has played football for him. Now he's very involved at Wisconsin Lutheran High School and uh, an alum, right? And a graduate, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, synodically as well. And so before we get started and make our way to the free for all, why don't we do it before the main topic? Because we'll forget later, or at least I'll forget. Why don't you go and introduce yourself to our listeners with whatever you want to share, social security number, you know, visa. <laughs> it's probably already stolen somewhere yeah. anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, again, Pastor Phil Hebner, um, just a couple of years behind uh, Wade and Mike in school. And uh, after graduating from our uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, I was assigned to start a mission church down in Palm Coast, Florida, which is a little south of St. Augustine on the better coast, as we call did it. You just the Atlantic say, did you just say Augustine? Yeah. That's how no, they that's say the city's name, yeah. Okay. Mike and I have a thing it's, of... It solves the debate, I think. Yes. Is, so that's how you say the saint's name too, then? It has to be. Right. Uh, Florida wouldn't make a mistake like that. Oh, I'm outnumbered, but <laughs> Florida I, makes every mistake. <laughs> 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 yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go yeah, ahead. no, go ahead. Uh, that's fine. Um, so I was assigned to Palm Coast, Florida to start uh, a mission church the old-fashioned way, so to speak. Um, here's a couple people. Good luck. Um, and, and was there for nine years, super blessed uh, to work with... I guess we'll talk about that maybe more with this topic coming up with uh, lots of families and children. And then uh, three and a half years ago, I accepted a call to Wisconsin Lutheran High School, which I did graduate from. And I, I do teach religion there. Uh, in the process along the way, um, maybe about six, seven years ago, I, I did go back to the seminary and got uh, an SDM degree and really kindled, um, I suppose, as you guys have interest in just learning more and diving into topics I really enjoyed that a lot. So when I was finished, I kind of thought, well, what next? And uh, we had an unresolved issue that was kind of unfinished business on this topic of uh, children and church and worship. And that kind of led me into doctoral studies where I got my doctorate last year. I graduated from Concordia in Fort Wayne. And uh, when uh, just a little background on Wisconsin Lutheran High School, um, I know we've had... Uh, Pastor Dobler on before, and then uh, Josh Seeger, who teach there as well, but um, my numbers are probably way off, but I think enrollment is about 850 that's, now. That's pretty accurate, actually. Probably the 
most diverse high school in the Wisconsin Senate, I would guess? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, we sometimes say most diverse maybe in the country. It's it's hard to find what we have here in Milwaukee. It's just so unique. We have uh, roughly about 55% of our students are white, about 32 or 3% black, 10% Hispanic. Um, out of 850, about uh, 70 students who are international students. And on top of all that racial or ethnic diversity, we also have this weird Milwaukee thing where you have the socioeconomic diversity, um, people who are on school choice scholarships, people who are very wealthy from suburbs, all coming together in one place, which is a pretty unique thing. Yeah, and that school choice that we have in Wisconsin, I think some will be familiar with. It's it's kind of like a voucher system, but people who live, um, originally I think it was Milwaukee and Racine, um, who are under a certain income level could ap- apply for choice. My kids are choice kids at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Mike's kids, um, I believe, are choice kids at Wisconsin Lutheran High School, and, and both of our families go to elementary schools that are school choice as well. And so it's kind of like a voucher system, and it's been expanded, uh, I believe, to the state now, mm-hmm. although the income levels are, are different th- uh, for that. But we've been blessed to have students at Wisconsin Lutheran High School, and so um, Phil is able to bring for us experience in the parish, experience at the high school, um, and you've dealt with pretty much every kind of child. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I, I, I was just thinking about that maybe a couple months ago about how I've dealt with everything in ministry from uh, daycare, you know, preschool, a couple of weeks old, all the way up to high school now. And so lots of vast experience with families, I guess. Uh, and we get them when they're, they're still children, but they're calling themselves adults. <laughs> um, yeah, I often have this uh, uh, discussion with my wife who teaches kindergarten about how difficult it is for her to teach kids to write their name on a paper. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm well aware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, disclaimer. And then Go ahead, back. Mike. Right. They'll make our way to the free from. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hi, and we're back with our free-for-all. Since we have uh, three pastors who are no longer in the parish, we thought a good topic would be, uh, what do you miss most about being a parish pastor, and what do you also enjoy about being institutionalized, (laughs) about uh, being in the system and uh, being at a school? So uh, you want to go first, Wade? Sure. Okay. We try not to make our guests go first. So um, I would say the thing I miss the most about the parish um, would be a, a tie, I think, um, between hospital visits and deathbed, um, kind of being with people when the rubber hits the road spiritually, um, and you have an ear that is just hungry for the gospel, or sometimes I don't even know what they're hungry for, but they, they want something, they want hope. Um, and I think secondly, I'd say I miss preaching. Um, I do preach now, but the idea of preaching to people that you're in a pastoral relationship with um, week in and week out, looking out and kind of knowing what a number of them are going through that have been talking to you. I think uh, there's a way, at least for me, that 
<clears throat> I preached in that setting that's different than <clears throat> preaching here to students or faculty. The students tend to leave after four years. We encourage that. Uh, <clears throat> have good relationships with the faculty, but it's not a pastoral relationship in the same way. So I would say I probably miss those two things the most. What I don't miss as a side note is the same thing that I wouldn't miss here, which is uh, meetings. Um, and I would say the thing I like best about teaching um, would be similar, I guess, to what I was saying with preaching, but um, the classroom experience is also its own thing. I think teaching theology is interesting because at the college we we do teach academic theology, and I'm sure at the high school it is too. You're giving grades. Uh, grades are the realm of the law. Um, but at the same time, there's a, a rapport, there's a conversational type back and forth um, that takes place in the classroom it's like Bible study, but also um, you're just you're seeing them more. You're discussing more. Um, that I would say I, I probably enjoy most about teaching um, the back and forth in the in the classroom setting, whether that takes place in the classroom or it's the student talking to you after about something that that stood out. All right, the correct answer is baptizing babies. Right? <laughs> that would be no. We can still do that most. technically. Yeah, technically. Um, yeah, why, I, why just babies? Why not just baptizing? Well, I get them right away. Oh, uh, why were true. you waiting? Well, I, don't, I, mean, I just get them right away. Anyway, um, you know what? Actually, I, I preach and teach enough. We both do that. You're right. It's not the same. Um, but you get that fix if you want to <laughs> say it that way. Um, I think what I, I didn't think I would miss would be like having this idea of this is where I want a congregation to be in five, 10 years and mostly more spiritual stuff. Like I, I want to teach them baptism and then I want to go to this and then I want to go to this, uh, that kind of, I, I miss being a part of the church here. Like I have to constantly, that would be a big one for me. Like that people I are like, like just the, you know, I'm preaching for, uh, St. Phillips. I'm like, I don't know what year we're in. Right. I'm pretty sure it's Advent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just totally disconnected that is from a very that, good which one. is which kind of stinks. But yeah, that kind of planning, planning worship, planning long term, like this is where I, I think I didn't expect to miss that, but but I uh, um, um, I do quite a bit for being in the. Uh, I would say too that that I've noticed that's kind of like a language where I still kind of know it, but I, I'm not fluent in it like yeah, I used to be. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how much after six years I'd lose the feel for the church mm -hmm. here. I mean, you still have it. I go on Sunday and there's the colors up there, but but you are living it and breathing it when you're in the lectionary and stuff like and that. And even even after a while, of course, knowing what text is going to come and stuff, and, and I had switched to the one year for a while and planned on going back and forth. And then the one year, you really get that that flow of the of the church here. And, and yeah, it's I'm, I'm worse off for it, right? And uh, so that's... That's one, but that just whole kind of looking into the future kind of thing. And um, I really like the idea of saying to those kids, I baptized you and now I confirmed you. And, uh, you know, even getting to the point where you would marry them and and being a part of those people's lives, you know, you do you do miss that. Um, the, what I like about being in school is uh, there's a lot of things that I can say not my problem. Right. <laughs> that's not my pro that's not my department as a pastor. You never could do that if you were the lone guy in a in a parish as 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 we all, as we all solo were. too, right? I yeah. think all three of us. As so. we all you were. didn't have an associate, did you? No, I was solo. Yep. Yeah. Was so the the pew cushions 
are your problem as well as the budget and the people dying and the addict and the baby and the confirmation, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I don't miss that. What I really enjoy about the school setting, especially teaching uh, an intro class, and we've mentioned this before, I kind of take, Wade, you take maybe the kids that went to, for lack of a better way to divide it up, the kids that went to a Parochial Christian school. Yeah. school and I get everybody else. And so it's kind of like a semester long evangelism call and they have to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really is a delight to open up scripture to them because even if they were Christian, uh, you're going to, you're going to go to a new level. And what's tricky about that class, but which is just the most fun is how do you give, how do you talk to the kid who literally doesn't know Jesus from Adam and the kid who maybe went to, you know, went to his Baptist uh, parents' church every Sunday and, and knows the stories. How do you keep them both engaged and um, to give them something new, but then give them the basics is a challenge, but it's really a delight to all of them say, oh, I didn't think about that, or I never knew that, and that's really cool. So that's the thing I like most about the school. So, Phil. Yeah, I would echo a lot of what you said, for sure. I, I think what I miss the most about the parish, for sure, is the people and just... Just being in the trenches with them, the ebb and flow of life, the the low times, the high times, the, the baptisms, of course, but also the the funerals and the the heartbreak, even to some extent, um, you know, the sinful times that you can assure them and comfort them with with the gospel, and then you just grow so close with the people. Um, they're so dear to you, and all the stories. I think it was my first year uh, at the high school that I, you know you could hardly tell a story about some of those people without tearing up and just yeah. thinking about what uh, what that was like. Um, I I also appreciated that uh, if there was a weekday where I just needed a time to catch my breath, <laughs> caught my breath. Um, but on the other side of that, um, I, I do appreciate the the ebb and flow of high school. And um, I guess I didn't realize it right away, but my wife, who's a teacher, you know, we never had breaks at the same time. So when she was off for Christmas and Easter, it was always when we're slammed the most. Yep. Uh, and so to actually catch breath and enjoy Christmas and Easter and holidays, um, secular and church with the family more is really nice. Enjoy some summertime, just relaxing, super nice. Um, at the high school, I, I enjoy the, the teaching thing, too, and, and we do have um, that interesting mix in our school. So maybe maybe two-thirds of our students are our particular brand of Lutheranism, Wisconsin Synod. Um, I'd say of the others, all but maybe 7-8% of our student body is Christian. Um, so what I appreciate, though, is, is that in a classroom, you can get any question from any person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the, the kids who aren't a part of our Lutheran church body will ask a question that the other kids wanted to know, but they're afraid to ask because uh, they didn't know. Yep. Um, or on the other hand, they have a friend who's been telling them that at work and they just don't know what to say. And they're so eager to see, you know, okay, what's he going to say? Because I want to say that to my friend. So that's a really neat thing that way. Honestly, the teaching thing is, I hate to say that the thing I like the least about being at the school, but I have a very unique role as campus pastor. So just it's just the everyday interactions with the students. I counsel with a ton of kids, um, even coaching. It's amazing how much ministry goes on on the fields. I and, believe it, yeah. Uh, and you just get to know the kids so well with their personal stories, more so than in the classroom uh, where you're just teaching. So I love that. Uh, I love um, 
even though I love preaching, I love having some weekends off, you know, yeah. so I can do stuff with the kids because that's when they have sports stuff. Um, at the same time, though, I do miss that, that flow of the church here and that, that really close interaction. You're right. It's really... Uh, we just had our, so this is our fourth year. We just had that first class that we came in with. Now they're like seniors and they, they graduated and it's almost like your children are leaving. Like, what yeah, do I do? Yeah. Like my members are gone. And yeah. uh, that is a really tough thing then. Um, I, I think really difficult that they just move on and you have to deal with it. Yeah. And break into okay. freshmen. Yep. Yeah. How are you guys doing? This is kind of on topic. How are you guys doing with hearing preaching? I know that was a big thing for me with, um, being solo pastors, you're preaching every Sunday. You're almost never hearing it unless you go to pastor's conference. Um, I think I'm doing a lot better than I was at first. It was really hard to listen to a sermon and uh, and not be sitting there like you're a homiletics prof or something, yeah, which we right. aren't. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking I'm getting better at better on just hearing the sermon and listening and being on the receiving end. But I think it's a big change. What do you, what do you guys I, find? I surprised myself that I wasn't as critical as I thought I would be. I think in the opposite. Now I'm getting a little bit more like if somebody – at first I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be a jerk. But then I wasn't. I was like just happy to be in the pew. I surprised myself. But now I get very irritated if I don't hear the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> like I go, rightfully this, so. this yeah. really ticks me off. Like you really – and it should, you know. But now, uh, you know, I, I never fall, fell into the trap and I thought I would fell in the trap of saying, I would have taken that text in a different direction. Like, you think that way, but you're like, you know what? I, that's that's neither here nor there. But I do growing increasingly irritated. So we're going on opposite trajectory. We are going the opposite. You're chilling out, and I'm getting a little more irritated. I think in my, in my best moments, uh, which are probably few and far between, I, it's nice to listen to other preachers. And even if you do something different or it's not maybe the most spectacular sermon, just to think through that text on your own and get different ideas, that, that's a good thing. I, yeah, being hypercritical is tough. That, I think that's a genetic thing for my family anyways, just being hypercritical. Uh, although, on the other hand, uh, one of the pastors I listen to is my dad. So, you know, I just take that yeah. up uh, over happy hour sometime, I suppose, and <laughs> see how that goes. And it works all right. Uh, yeah, but it, no, it, it is hard to be on the other other side um though i do get to preach a lot too yeah um it, it is hard to be on the other side yeah. for sure it's a different way of approaching a text though preaching it i think the high school or the college it's, it's very narrow application compared to what you're doing in the parish you know it's a uh, maybe it shouldn't be more narrow it just seems that way to me though when i'm looking at it that you're no, it is, for sure. I mean, there, there's so many life applications that I want to give to the kids sometimes, like in chapel, but they're just not old enough to even know what that means yeah. for their life. Mm -hmm. um, I find myself having to think extraordinarily carefully about what I say because everything could be some double entendre I don't know about. <laughs> yeah. Like you have um, to Google everything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very seriously. Um, you know, that's interesting, though, because when I first came to the high school, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be the, the cool, relatable guy and have some good, you know, wise cracks in there. And uh, that didn't always work out so great. And yeah. surprisingly, over time, I found if you just sincerely deliver the gospel to hurting hearts, yeah. they really appreciate it that much more. Yeah. They're, they're into authenticity more yeah. than perhaps we give them credit for. Yeah. yeah. So how often do you have to, as campus pastor on that uh, campus, do you... Uh, preach every week how do you not quite um but are you preach more than everybody else i would assume you're i kind do, of the I camp, do. Yeah. yeah i'm up more often uh, <clears throat> to get my face in front of them just to hear encouragement from me so we can build a relationship mm -hmm. even just being on the uh, stage so to speak 
but uh, at least twice a month when I get to certain times of the year, you know, Lent, the, the pastors usually will rotate through the Wednesdays in Lent. Um, so I, I don't know, roughly in, in 10 months, probably 15 to 20 plus times. So that's a little yeah. more. You preach more than me here, but. That's because I can't say no. Right. So You're like twice a month, yeah. Yeah, twice I'm a month. I'm once a month now. Yeah. You got to do a pretty parish pastor thing though recently too. Uh, Wisco just got some nice new church furnishings, didn't they? Yeah, I was, I, I'm blessed to be a part of it. I do miss the, the the planning worship thing, but now I'm on the worship committee, so I help plan our everyday chapel, so I guess I scratched that itch, um, planning our, our worship every day there. And yeah, I was a part of a committee that worked on getting new liturgical furnishings that are uh, just really spectacular. They look sharp, yeah, yeah. They look good. They're good. Yeah. Should we move on? Is that good enough? Or do you want to add No, that, that's good with me. All right. We'll come back for the main topic. All right. Topic uh, with Reverend uh, Doctor Reverend uh, Phil Hebner. Reverend Doctor, isn't it? Reverend Doctor Phil Hebner. I don't know. You should know. You are. I one. think it's. Well, I prefer the most Reverend Doctor Father. I think that's pastor. Episcopalians that do that the most. They do the superlatives. Right, but in comparison to you, who is sort of the sort of Reverend <laughs> Doctor. Johnson, I'm the more more reverend. I'll do more reverend. Roman Catholics do that too. I, I could be more doctor if you're more reverend. Okay, I'll be more reverend. You be more doctor. That's okay. probably a pretty good. It's uh. probably a pretty good <laughs> description of our of um yeah the theology department here. We should actually figure that out. That would be a good free for all. Take our our fa- theology faculty and give them more most and whatever the least reverend. Yeah, the uh, least reverend. Yeah. And then That'd but be me. but you would you would balance it out with like the. You know, but he's really smart doctor. Like I'd be the low end doctor, but probably a more reverend. Yeah. You're pretty reverend. You're collared up every day. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, So our topic is what to do with those stinking children in church. I think that was the name of your dissertation. So pretty close. um, (laughs) So, uh, but what struck me in your introduction is when you're talking about going from an STM, a master's, um, to uh, the next step, uh, getting a, a doctor in ministry, uh, you said there was an unresolved issue, and that would be children in worship. And so why don't you take it from there, and then you go where you want, uh, maybe explain the process of, of, of your project, and then we'll just see where the, where the conversation leads. Yeah, we had some interesting situations um, in our church in, in Florida, and uh, it was early on in... Um, the ministry there, worshiping um, in a public school and, you know, Bible study in my house, you know, that whole thing that we thought, you know, there's a younger community we could probably reach with a, a preschool here. And, uh, of course, a young guy out of the seminary, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Uh, so we started a preschool. My wife was the, the preschool director, and uh, God just poured open the, the floodgates. And sometimes you, you just don't know why um, you're so blessed to ride that tidal wave, but, but I was. 
and one thing led to another, and, and we had preschool, and we eventually added up to grade school. So we had, well, by the time I left, we had age one all the way through eighth grade and, and um, nearly 400 students in our school. And um, as we were growing, again, God blessed the preschool with the way we intended it, that um, parents were touched through the children and through the, the teachers and um, through the church. Uh, to, to come to worship and to hear God's word and to join the church. So here we all of a sudden have this congregation that is full of young families. Um, I think I read somewhere that the average age of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod across the Synod is like 58. Sounds so, about right, like that. yeah. And the average age of Wisconsin is like 48. Um, <coughs> toward my end there, we had 300 members, and the average age of our entire congregation was 28. Nice. Uh, we had 120. 120, whatever, 40% of our members were under age 12. Um, so I don't know if you want to say we were crawling with kids. but <laughs> There was a lot of them. They were everywhere. <coughs> and most of them tended to be in that preschool range, which was the, the biggest ministry we had. Um, so you have uh, this weird combination of tons of young people, tons of people who are new to church, uh, for many of them in particular like liturgical worship or maybe um, – a more sacred, reverent type of environment for worship. Uh, and then you had uh, older folks too, as you have in every congregation, but also in Florida, of course. Um, and it didn't always go so great. And you know, here you have these incredible, incredible blessings. We're just growing like gangbusters by God's grace. And the devil wants to put his foot in the door and uh, he, he burst through the door, really. Um, and, and so some of the older members started complaining um, how many churches wouldn't give anything for some youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we have older members who are who are saying, you know, those kids this and those kids that. And yeah, we had some awkward moments. We had Christmas services uh, where it was standing room only and people did all kinds of crazy thi- army crawling up the aisle to take pictures like it's the Super Bowl of their mm-hmm. children, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, kids bring in fire trucks with, with the siren and leaving it on and it goes off in the middle of the church. And, um, I remember an Easter or two, we were just heavy with advertising and canvassing. And then of course, inviting school families, uh, where we could maybe sit 250 and we had like 320 in, in worship. What, you know, one of those awesome Easter things, but there's like 75 kids there. And I had my, my my mic cranked all the way up to full volume, and you you <laughs> couldn't even hear the Easter gospel being proclaimed. It was just, and they weren't even like trying to be noisy. It was just the din mm-hmm. of children. Yeah. So and it has to do with the space, I'm sure. You yeah, know, like good, you just good like, acoustics, and, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so it just became a thing to talk about, and and rather than us going about it in brotherly and sisterly ways, um, it became a thing, mm-hmm. and you had this guilt of parents. Um, that I can't keep my kid quiet and I don't even know if I should be in church and then anger of um, other people, single, older, whatever. Um, we had five people over the age of 55 who left our church um, because of children. And, you know, everyone was upset and it got to be the point where, it, you know, it just got in my head and I would come home and, and, and talk to my wife and say, uh, boy, today was a pretty good service. I think there was only like one noise. <laughs> you know, it was, just a, it was an obsessive kind of a thing um, because I was just so concerned for the people to, to remain united um, with each other and, and in, our, in our church. So that's what kind of led to the study. And um, I guess I had the, the foolish thought, there's, there's got to be something better. And um, maybe I'll describe what we did in the earlier days as, as we 
we're starting our church and you're just eager to have people come to church and you're that eager seminarian who wants to convert the world. And, uh, you know, I'd be at people's doors inviting them to church and they say, well, do you have childcare? Because I'm not coming if you don't. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of taken aback and like, well, I want you in church. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you've never been in church and the ones maybe you have visited did have a professional childcare yeah. system. And for, and for non-Lutheran listeners, um, it's not a very common experience in the Lutheran church to have... <clears throat> child care right. or a mindset yep. like that. Um, so if, if you're one of our non-Lutheran listeners and you're going, well, why does that matter? Our Lutheran listeners are probably shaking their head like, <clears throat> yeah, like right. that is a weird question. Yep. Yeah, Not 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 normal. Um, so my wife, the ultimate servant and trooper, uh, spent a lot of time not being in church our first couple of years. Um, if kids really needed it, she would watch them the whole service, you know, she, whatever we could to serve the community. Um, as we built our new congregation after about, or, or, sorry, new church after about three, four years, uh, then we moved into a, a children's um, a children's church system, which was everyone starts together. You're, we're all one congregation, and then right before the sermon during the her, the hymn of the day, children under a certain age can go down the hallway and have uh, what was intended to be a children's church, like a message focused on the, the actual theme and message of the day and uh, sing a, some kind of hymn or liturgical song that they could learn, kind of, you know, a training ground, so to speak. At least that was the intention. We did have a like an under two nursery room if you needed it, which had the audio and video of the service broadcast in it. Um, but, you know, over time, I guess I came to realize that didn't make a difference. Um, and, and all of a sudden you have these other problems, like why is this sixth grade kid going down the hall to... Mm-hmm. children's church that's intended for three and four year olds and I'm, you, you try and work it out but why is this becoming playtime down the hallway and then mm-hmm. some kids don't go down the hallway and they're still noisy and people are still angry and so over time I, I just I guess realized there's, there's got to be something better out there there's got to be some other solution and that's what really re- led me on to the studies uh, on this topic on what do people do what, what can be done uh, what does the Bible say? Of course, that's the foundation. What has been the practice in church history? Uh, what what have they done? And uh, I guess all of that put together is kind of what led me to um, conclusions in, in the thesis. Have, have I ever told you, Mike, about my only experience with children's church? We yeah. were in Germany. And uh, so we, when we were living in the Netherlands for grad study, we took a trip to Leipzig um, to go to the ALFK church there. And God bless the kind people in Leipzig, but we got there. And the first thing that happened is Anna locked herself in the bathroom. They had this men and women's bathroom that was next to each other. And then at the top of the, like the the wall between them, there was a gap. But there was a key inside, and you're just supposed to turn the key to lock the door when you're in there. Well, Anna locked herself in at least three different bathrooms in Europe. Um, but she pulled the key out. And then, so she was locked in. She didn't know how to get back out, and she was a lot younger then. And so I have this uh, um, seminarian in Leipzig come up and say to my wife, uh, do you have a daughter? And we said, yeah, we have three daughters. And my broken German, you know, I'm trying to get by. And, uh, did she go? Did one go to the bathroom? I said, yeah. She's been gone a while, actually. And they said, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's screaming in our bathroom. <laughs> and so we went to get in. We had to – she was terrified because there's these very well-meaning um, – you know, German seminarians and, you know, hollering, throw the key over, but they're hollering in German and she doesn't know German. (laughs) So she's terrified. So finally we, we got her out of there. Everything's going good. Um, they had a baptism. So it was a packed service. And then it came time for the sermon and they must do something like children's church. And 
the the pastor kind of stopped and he's looking at us and we're sitting in the back like good American Lutherans and he said, uh, you know, we take your children now. And Trisha's <laughs> like, what did he say? I'm like, oh, he said they take our children now. And half the kids start like tearing up. They're like, take us, take us where? What are they? <laughs> and so um, I think two of them decided to go, I think Ziggy and Maggie, and the other ones wouldn't go. So we're kind of creating this scene. I feel terrible. So we think at least it's over. Well, Maggie and Ziggy came back with a bunch of grapes. The lesson must have been um, Caleb and the spies, you know, and they go and they get grapes. Well, then the kids who didn't go were upset that they didn't have grapes. <laughs> and uh, so I'll apologize to our friends in the LFK in Leipzig, but that was the only time I've ever been at Children's Church, and my kids didn't know what to make of it, um, partly because it was in German, but it's been my only experience with it. But. Well, the funny thing, those kinds of things happen in America, too, where you have yeah. those situations, and it becomes awkward. And You, you guys didn't can't... have one of those uh, lights where, like, each kid has a number, like in the big churches, and if the no. kid's acting or up. Or a pager or a buzzer. No, <laughs> okay. we, we didn't have any of those So your wife was just stuck with them, and if they were acting up, she just had to tough it out. She was a trooper. Uh, yeah. Put them outside on a leash or something. Or, or something. Yeah. More legal. Yeah. <laughs> So so what um so you did this study and you're wrestling with this as a as a church um maybe before what you decided to do as a church what did you start to find as you dug into these various aspects of it Yeah so as reading and studying ensued and you think about the topic and how many different ways can you look at it um there there was sort of a light bulb moment which felt so stupid I suppose um you know all oh, these kids and what do you do with these kids and these kids this and they're loud and and eventually the light bulb clicks. This really has nothing to do with the kids. It's it's all about the adults. Um, in particular, starting with, this is really all about their parents. Um, and, and the parents training their children and the church working with their parents and helping train the parents. And the other adult members of the church um, being a good Christian family and community to help raise the children. You know, you just kind of realize uh, simple, silly things like, you know, children are not born worse in church all of a sudden in the 21st century. Uh, they're very much products of the culture and the climate that we live in right now. And so, you know, what's going, so that led me down different rabbit holes, like, well, what's going on in our culture that shapes the way children are behaving? What's going on with our culture, with families, with, with parents, and even trends in churches, and, you know, what our church is doing. And so that led to pursue, um, you know, what our church is doing and this church is doing children's church and then children's sermon and then there's Sunday school concurrently with worship and, you know, a, 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 myriad, of, a myriad of things uh, as people are looking to kind of answer this question. And I guess I realized too, this is a bigger problem than just my church uh, because everyone's kind of grasping for something. Um, you know, I guess I kind of found over time that churches kind of fall into a couple categories on this. Um, there's my category, which was we have older people who are complaining, do something with these kids, so they're looking for something. Then you have like the the church that's um, trying to be new and relevant, so we have to do what you know what parents want because we want to connect to people, so we got to offer this service so we can be all things to all people. And then you have churches who just are kind of stagnant and they don't know, so let's try this because maybe that will attract people into our building. Uh, and then uh, there's some churches that are probably like, what's children? We haven't <laughs> yeah. had any of those well, in a while. Right, yeah, <laughs> where it's not even an issue. So I guess all of those are still circling around the same thing. Where it's looking at it from the wrong angle. You're, you're looking for solutions at a problem that's not really, they're not the problem. It's, it's the, the parents, the adults that are really the, the main focus. So I guess that's kind of the, the avenue that I started traveling down. With, um, and I think this, uh, 
I mean, just the Worship the Lord articles, you know, being in there too, I think it is something that people in our Lutheran circles as well, whether that be Wisconsin Synod, Missouri Synod, <laughs> um, <clears throat> wrestle with too, because as you mentioned, I'm guessing especially in mission settings, you have people who come from backgrounds where it's just a given that there are these things provided by Correct. the church, there are these programs, um, and you do have uh, churches that are grappling with the same issues you've mentioned, who are looking about for for solutions. And inevitably, in the American setting, we tend to look at what other Protestants are are doing, um, and with good intentions, right? That right. you know to see what um, what might be most most beneficial. Um, when you when you wrote in worship the Lord, you were presenting children's churches, maybe not the most beneficial solution. Um, and I, I want to come back later to the, the whole congregation kind of being a part of this too, because it is interesting in, in our baptismal, right? You know, we do ask the congregation um, to pledge their support for the child too, and then you know to kind of all of a sudden say, so long as they're quiet. Yeah, um, right. But um, what was the what was the route your you navigated in the in the congregation as you where did you end up what did you guys end up doing in this regard yeah so kind of an interesting thing where you know the spirit called and led and i didn't finish the project before i left which was <laughs> a, kind of a, a sad thing that i still felt a little unfinished um but they're being served by a very fine and great pastor right now um, but but as i was going through it i did actually stop with the children's church uh for a while and you know we're we're talking to some extent matters of adiaphora here, yeah. and um, you know we don't want to ever say something like, well, it's sinful to have children's church or do a children's sermon. Right. Um, but I and, guess, and I think this in a lot of ways, worship and what happens in that hour is always a sticky point because people can hear whatever side someone falls on as an indictment of what they're doing. Right. And I, I mean, it really is what I like about your approach and, and how you're unpacking it even so far as more wanting to get at the why. Why are we doing this? What what maybe is a, the best way to do it? And we are free in it, but yeah, so to maybe save you from any emails, we might get a, <laughs> someone right. thinking, this this is not to, to call another practice unchristian, but the the why of it, but sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, you can just kind of quickly skim over a couple of things, you know, like a, a children's sermon can have a great blessing of a pastor being approachable and building relationship with children and them being engaged, but does that really solve the issue? There's still the whole rest of the service, uh, you know, uh, that they have to be engaged in and learn about and know about. And, you know, are you are you breaking up the ebb and flow of of the service itself and maybe even the, the reverent nature of, of what worship can be with really silly moments of puppetry and, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and then a children's church uh, can be nice, but in my experience it almost never is actual like churchy type stuff. It's more play than anything down the hallway. And and what are you actually communicating by, I don't want to say shoving, but you know what I, shoving them down the hallway, go down there. There is a procession out of the sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you saying by that? Well, you belong over here. Um, and, and maybe one of my least favorite, which is becoming more and more popular in, in all kinds of circles, is Sunday school concurrently with worship. Uh, you know, if they're not going to worship with the adults, well, when are they going to even worship if they're just going to go do Sunday school stuff? A at the same time, 
You know, so all have benefits, all are in touch with God's word in some way, which is great and an awesome blessing. But again, I guess I kept looking at it from the angle of, is there something better? And, you know, where might God's word direct us on this topic and the practice of faithful Christians over the centuries? Um, so I guess, you know, the more and more I looked at it and, and, and dug into the scriptures, it's just so interesting to see all the times that like the word all is used. You don't want to be dogmatic, but you know, Old Testament things like, and all Israel was present. Um, you know, Josiah with his reforms and, and Moses as they gathered and Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And you can keep going through various times. Of course, the those unable and the sick, the infirm, the ceremony, ceremonially unclean wouldn't be there. But it even specifically mentions, you know, women ch- and children nursing at the breast, et cetera. They were there. Um, and, and the New Testament examples, too, of, of children um, being brought to Jesus, of course. And again, you don't want to be dogmatic, as people tend to be a little too much with the let the little children come. See, you got to have children. Well, you don't want to be too dogmatic. That wasn't exactly uh, a worship service that they were having at, at the time. I do like um, teaching that, though, because I, I get to say that the apostles were functionally Baptist at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just interesting, though, to, to see all those examples of um, all of the community being gathered together uh, around God um, in his word. And then seeing the, the, how the early Christians then built off of that as well. Of course, knowing what God does for us and how he comes to us in worship through his word and sacraments. And you know, just keep going on and on with all those things. And, and then you just do a, a careful theology of parenting. Um, you know, from the famous Moses words of teach these to your children and, you know, train them in the way that they should go, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I guess a, a number of things that s- stuck in my mind centers around Jesus um, always bringing children to the center as an example. Uh, you know, so this question I couldn't get off my mind. Well, why does Jesus use them as the example, brings them to the center, and we're so quick to push them away? You know, if they're the examples of faith and what faith can be like, and we all know those moments where we've seen our, our own children or, or other children just bursting with joy as they sing songs or it's that time of year we're getting close to Christmas services and they're doing like their Luke 2 recitation of, uh-huh. and, and they were terrified with the, you know, the shepherds out in the field. Um, if they can do that in those circumstances and we see that, you know, that faith on display, well, why can't they do that during worship and why wouldn't we want to continue to teach that during worship? Um, so the more and more I thought about that and saw the practice, the, the more and more I saw wisdom of, the, you know, the best solution seems to be f- uh, from God's word and, and from history and practice, parents with their children in worship and training them how to worship and congregations partnering with them, training the parents, training the children, etc. Yeah, I was. Uh, I got a few things that I, I, I jotted down right here, and you can ignore all these or answer which ones you want. But uh, let me just get them all out, and then you can kind of choose what you want there. Uh, maybe one question was, you know, Lutheranism, uh, in particular, beginning with uh, emphasis on catechesis and stuff like that, and education. Luther being, uh, you know, a f- uh, probably a forerunner of of maybe modern education, proto type kind of a little bit. Uh, that maybe the Lutheran Church has something unique about about that to say, um, you know. Uh, the, the other thing about taking kids out of the worship service to, at best, an educational situation. Yeah. But but it's kind of like 
I don't mind screens in church. I don't mind the children's service. I don't mind that if it was done well, but I've never seen any of that really done yeah, well right, kind of right. thing. And then, but, but what bothers me a little bit about that is we tend to have this, we learn, we teach, um, instead of we are being proclaimed to. And this is, this is like we say, a first or article proclamation. You are forgiven this. And there, and there comes a little bit of reverence, liturgy, order to that that's different than a classroom, right? And, and do you miss that when you pull, constantly pulling people out of and, and only doing an educational model? And then uh, just in general, uh, maybe we have this, and I'm sure you, you went down this road in your, in your dissertation of, Maybe parenting right now is overprotective instead of and protect keeping things away from our children, whether good or bad, instead of lifting them up a little bit, say, instead of saying they could never do this instead right, of. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe the last thing is I, I know from my experience, I, I made a big deal about I'm going to teach my especially my catechism kids what's going on in church. I'm not arguing about this liturgy or not. I'm saying this is why we sing the glory and excelsis. This is why I say this at this point. And that was great because they knew what was going on and they knew more than their parents. And there's nothing better than a child knowing something that the parents don't. Right. And what a delight that is for them. And I think that, that basic thing of, have we taught what's going on in church period? Um, and, and if these kids know what's going on, yeah, they still may be bored because they're kids, but at least they are not bored ignorantly. <laughs> right. So go ahead with any of those. Yeah. Well, just on your last one, uh, the answer is no, we're not doing a good job of teaching. Um, I, I did survey work and it was more, it was maybe 55, 60% more than half of our Wells pastors responded to a survey. Um, and then of the 200 randomly selected, I suppose you could say, uh, parents from all across the, the country, um, it was roughly 90% that said, um, worship is not specifically being taught to the children uh, or even the parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you have the introductory um, Bible information class, you know, uh, introductory catechism stuff for adults. Uh, um, certainly in school, kids would get some stuff in catechism and maybe you have the random worship Bible study every now mm -hmm. and then in church, but it's re not really being taught. Uh, so no, that, that's not going on, it, it would seem from, from reports. Uh, and survey work that was done. So, yeah, I guess uh, where do we even begin with all all those questions? There's so many things that, to take up here. Uh, with with parents today, there there is a lot of things. There's the the yeah the the protecting and the sheltering and not um, understanding the I guess you could say the natural spirituality. I don't want to get too you know scientific. There's great books written on this topic, you know, um, but, but we, we all are spiritual creatures mm -hmm. um, and, and not understanding that there's a capability of children that we see so often. Um, but I think one of the issues for parents today is something like I, I like to call passed off parenting is just a trend, you know, so um, your child is born and you work, 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 work. So immediately they go to daycare or preschool and uh, you got to go work out at the YMCA. Well, good news, they got childcare. And you got to go buy a Swedish lamp from Ikea. Well, <laughs> good news, they got childcare there too. Uh, and and you got to go get some food. Well, even better news, they can go burn off steam in the play place. And mm -hmm. it's always someone else is going to take care of my children. Someone, and they kind of expect this. And um, we get this in an academic setting where all of a sudden parents like, 
you know, my kid got to see what did you do wrong? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're supposed to teach my kid mm-hmm. kind of a thing. You, you know, so they're sort of trained in this in our culture. It, I mean, even in sports, you see it more than oh, yeah, you right. used to. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they're trained in this. So when you walk into church, which is another place, another gathering of people, there's sort of that expectation. What service are you going to provide for my kids? How are you going to teach them? You need to take care of them. And then similarly, in a lot of the, the, the conversations that I've had, a lot of the survey work that I did, there was a lot of parents who responded, I'm sure from very good, you know, good nature, good-hearted um, kind of approaches, but it's very personal. Well, this is my time for the Lord, mm-hmm. and I just really need this break, and I, I, I really enjoy being able to focus I'm sure it comes from, you know, mm-hmm. good gospel intentions. Right. That's it's just, good to want to hear the word. That's Faith right. comes through hearing, but yeah. that's just not what God has called you to do. Right. right. Um, you know, God has called you to train your children and teach your children. Yeah. Good. What um I think an interesting point that comes out was something that you you mentioned earlier too of having Sunday school replace um the worship experience maybe for children. And it's something I've wondered about a lot and how maybe we approach the faith um, and even the gospel. And I don't know if it's post-enlightenment. I don't know if just in the American setting we've been so um, influenced by evangelicals for whom faith is more a set of information that you give assent to. Um, But I think even when we talk about catechesis, we sometimes limit that to Bible class or confirmation class. And... I would say, you know, you mentioned the Old Testament. A lot of the catechesis in the scriptures was experiential. Um, here's these big stones. Why are they there, right? I mean, yeah. God tells most, when your children ask, I mean, it's a catechism. Um, and I, I think that's whether someone is doing page 15 or, or what a contemporary music settings with the historic Western Rite is the foundation. Um there is something to the experience of the the worship service, divine service, whatever we want to call it, um, in which catechesis is experiential, right? You're you're growing up into it. So you have the kid who is exuberantly saying the Lord's Prayer, and maybe you could say, does he understand all the words in there? <clears throat> well, maybe he or she does or doesn't, but something is happening still there, or the, the movements, and um, most of us have probably had kids, maybe it's because they're pastor's kids, but you catch them playing church at home. Um, what would you say to, or, or, or how do you think it factors in um, this view of um, maybe this overly pedagogical view of um, conveying, I don't know if I'm asking this well. But no, no, I think you're on the right thing, and it actually circles back to one of Mike's questions uh, where you're talking about proclaiming in church versus uh, teaching. I think it's very connected. Uh, a good book I read um, had a quote um, from uh, a guy, what was it, Howard Kroops? Howard Kroops maybe was his name, but his comment was it was in the late 1960s, early 1970s when worship had a fundamental change among evangelicals where it went away from proclaiming to this teaching mode where you kind of have the sage on the stage that just is going to teach you. Uh, And so as he goes in his quote, um, as church turned more to a classroom setting, it made sense to say, this is the classroom for adults. Mm -hmm. This is the classroom for children down the hallway because this is above your 
academic mm-hmm. level kind of uh, but but again that's not what happens in worship it's it's proclaiming it's god coming to us with his gifts uh, you know the sacraments there and you know the forgiveness of sins being proclaimed all that kind of thing uh and so back to what you were saying wade uh, with the children it's just amazing how they can grasp that so much more than what we really give them credit for and in a school setting we get that because we know all the developmental psychology stuff. So that was uh, some time I spent with that too on my thesis. You know, I did the, the history thing and the Bible thing, but spending some time thinking about psychology. And it's just amazing the stuff that we've learned about um, how children learn through their senses. Um, we who teach know it's not just, you can't just talk to them, right? They have to right. learn through different things. Well, amazingly, what do you have in, you know, especially liturgical services? You stand up, you sit, there's motions, Postures. Right? And, uh, yeah. Postures, and you, and you, you smell the candles and, and sometimes uh, other, you know, incense mm-hmm. or that churchy mm-hmm. smell. Um, obviously, there's talking, there's sights with the colors and maybe uh, imagery or, or stained glass. And there, there's things that captivate their attention. Um, and then you, more developmental psychology, how do um, children learn best well they actually um, are formed best by imitating and who do they imitate best psychology tells us well they imitate their their parents the best because they want to grow up to be like mommy and daddy Uh, you know so to think about children in that kind of a worship setting sitting side by side with their parents imitating being coached and oh yeah how else do people learn so well by repeating, mm-hmm. you know, so you have uh, the, the songs and, and the, the texts and the, the, the prayers, the creed repeated over and over and over again, and all of a sudden they get really good at it. In fact, in some ways better than the adults. Yeah. And I think about that, which was just crazy in my congregation in Florida, um, where you have these adults who are complaining, and yet it's the children who we did actually have that, uh, Audrey was that prayer about the Lord's Prayer. I mean, she was that person who would just like, Our Father! Uh, (laughs) And it just made everyone smile. And um, our children who learned in our school chapels on Friday, you know, some other settings, uh, alternate settings of the Gloria, for example, they sang it louder than the whole congregation. Yeah. And yet, people were complaining about, but that's how they learn best. Yeah. Is through all those kinds of ways. And then, maybe piggybacking off that, what what you said about the the classroom setting, um, I think another interesting thing is if you think about what the the parish is, one of the interesting things about a parish it is it's kind of like your family. Um, where the Spirit puts you, you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. They're there. <clears throat> and they're across demographic um, boundaries, whether that be age, ethnicity, economic background. And, and so I think the... Um, the parish can be an interesting way um, for children to learn about community and even the world. Um, I might not be, if I'm a 12-year-old, I might not be a 60-year-old, right? But I'm going to be a 60-year-old one day, Lord willing, if the Lord grants me that much life. And I'm going to learn about being a 60-year-old from the the 60-year-old there. I'm going to develop relationships beyond what I have. Um and you look at most of our children's educational background, they're moving up grade to grade with the same people in the same age group, and they're not, You historically you look at many cultures, and having exper- life experience around you is a great value. Um, and then when the, when the church adopts it, it seems like maybe we're depriving children of relationships that they're really not going to get elsewhere. And 
the closest thing would maybe be with sports and you have a coach, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's why these bonds form in, in sports and even just coaching club sports. I know that I've done a lot more than just tell people when to steal and not steal. Um, but then they get out in the world, and I think American culture itself kind of segregates people by all these different things as well. And you're you're not learning you you don't have meaningful relationships with people outside and, and we hear this with well they're a millennial they're a boomer they're this um what uh am i off in thinking through that as maybe they're missing out on something when when they're not sitting next to mildred you know maybe senior citizen mildred on sunday and 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 they're not <clears throat> watching um, this person different than them go up to the communion rail and, and come back? And um, are we maybe depriving them of, of some full experience of the communion of saints? I, I, I think completely. And we're very much in the separatist kind of way in our society. You have everyone's a specialist or has a special group, you know, and some in good reason, right? There's geriatric and pediatric specialists. And, but, right. but we do this in the church, and we want to serve and love people, but all of a sudden you have you singles are in that group, and then you uh, seniors, you have that group, and then you teen youth, you have that group, and then you just all separate, right? And we want to classify everyone, and, you know, you can do the generational thing. And it, and it can sometimes, I think, make it seem like the issues that each group faces are drastically different when there are differences. I don't have the energy to be tempted to the sins I was tempted to in high school anymore. I just physically, I'm too tired to put the effort in that those sins would have taken. Um, but it's still, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it, um, they're not as different as maybe they, as we, we make them out to be. But. Yeah. And, and boy, there's so much to be learned to, to see that, um, that older man in his fifties, um, returning from the communion rail because he got in a, a wretched argument with his wife over the weekend and to return in, in tears and just to ponder that as a, as a young kid and, you know, wh- what does this mean and why? And to see that person, you know, that was on your church softball team because you went with dad and you watched him play and all of a sudden you see him instead of belting out um, cheers at the softball game, mm-hmm. belting out songs in praise to the Lord. And, you know, everything is formation. Um, you know, some good quotes from the science child psychology realm, you know, this whole nature versus nurture thing. And I guess where people are right now is there's no dividing nature versus mm-hmm. nurture. It's just you're always being nurtured as you in your nature are growing. And there's just such opportunities in the church right now. Uh, one of the one of the big um, buzzwords in, in the worship world right now in America is intergenerational worship. Because uh, I think it's this topic is so big. And so people are really maybe forcing it too much uh, in the sense of now we're going to take time from the service where um, anyone who's old, anyone who's young, and they come and hold hands and you know, say a prayer together. And then huh. we're going we're gonna to specifically pick the grandpa and grandson are going to read the lesson today together. And maybe that's a little too forced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think we're definitely going in the wrong direction where we're trying to be um, so separate and, and, and custom fit and tailor-made. We want to serve you and your children by having this program elsewhere. Whereas, interesting, the practice of the church in history was the opposite. We're interested in you. We're interested in your children. We want to serve them. But we're going to do that by incorporating them. You know, so I guess I think back to something, one of your questions you asked before, Mike, was in our, our history of, of Lutheranism. 
and boy, Luther was great with that, but so were the, also the early church fathers. I mean, there's some really neat um, records of um, liturgists, you know, or not liturgists, but um, lectors, um, children at the age of, I don't know how this worked, but like five or six mm. uh, serving as lectors, uh, even in like the second century. Huh. Um, and always, always children's choirs mm -hmm. um, in the church participating, especially in the responsive kind of psalm singing. And Luther was one who really was big on that. Now you guys are obviously the, the better Luther scholars, but there's a lot that he had to say and a lot that he did where, where he was introducing some of the new um, settings of, uh, of the service, uh, but he specifically used children's choirs to introduce those songs. Of course, we know how he wrote hymns specifically for um, children to be teaching tools as he did for, for all Christians, but you know, specific ones come to mind like um, Lord Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, which was a teaching tool with what was going on in history and uh, From Heaven Above to oh, Earth I Come yeah. was, was like a, a folk song tune, but it was meant to be a riddle yeah. Uh, for children about, well, who is this? Who's coming mm -hmm. from yeah. heaven above? Um, and he used that for the children. He also was known to um, to incorporate children as lectors, you know. And so they were incorporating, incorporating, incorporating. Sometimes they did it specifically for, like, you are a candidate for ministry in the future. We want to get you involved. But other times just to be regular functioning parts of the service. And and today we're in this strange mindset where, yep, we want to serve kids, but over there and away yeah. from us, uh, and that's not really what the church has done for the last, um, you know, eighteen or so, seventeen hundred years before. Yeah, we can think of modern. I mean, we had a very robust acolyte program. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do without um, forcing it. Right. Being corny <laughs> or kicking them out or separating them. Yeah, I wonder if those are the three things. Forcing it, being corny, and or just elsewhere. Those right. are three pitfalls maybe that you can fall into. Well, and, and something I, I think is nice about the parish as community too is we uh, I think there's an awareness um, in the church in the West as a whole, but I would say in our circles too, that... Um, we're really at risk of losing a lot of our youth. And not just at risk of it, but we've been doing it for a while. We've been um, hemorrhaging them. And when we see this in the evangelical world, too, where there's been this segregation by age for quite some time. And I think there's um, something to young people seeing older people in the faith and recognizing they made it. Mm -hmm. Right, that these are people who also have had questions. That these have um, people who have had hardships that have, and to have relationships where they hear those stories too, and to recognize that uh, it's not an easy road. But there's there's people who have made it. People from a variety of backgrounds. Um, I think this is why students, when they have a teacher who is sincere but they can tell, really believes these things um, and is not daft, you know, they don't, we're not gonna throw platitudes at them, but wants to seriously engage things. Why that resonates as well, um, I think we, we can have, um, and, and you're immersed in this world too, Phil, and um, this fear of, well, we're gonna lose the young people, so we gotta focus on the young people, and we're gonna deal with all the things that we think are gonna make the young people fall away, so, we talk a lot about sex or, or drugs or um, 
you know, this kind of generally agnostic culture, but then we don't give them role models, you know, of here's, it's always been hard to be young and remain in the faith. You read Luther's sermons or his letters and he's complaining about the same things. Um, just the power of, um, it always, when I was fresh out of seminary, it always struck me when I'd be at a deathbed. Um, I thought I really wouldn't like that and it would terrify me because I'm not particularly looking forward to dying. It's not the what happens next thing that I'm worried about, although Mike tries to place doubts in my head sometimes about that. <laughs> um, but like the process of dying does not yeah. seem particularly fun. Um, but to, to be at a deathbed... But you could be doing something fun that led to death. Right. So let's not be a pessimist. But I mean, have okay. you, I mean, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I mean, were you ever at a deathbed and you just, if you would have asked me a year earlier, would, will this person die well, meaning will they handle the process well? Maybe there's someone who didn't usually handle difficulty well. Um, and then, and then they, they're going through and, and you see the faith just bear fruit. Um, as God strips away the distractions, God gives the strength that you can only have in weakness. And I, I often was just so encouraged by that just in my own life to say when God calls me, you know, he'll do that for me too. Um, and not that we should be taking students to deathbeds all the time. I, I doubt you guys do field trips to hospice all the time. But that they also develop relationships with people who they they do see go to heaven. They they do see them make the good confession. Um, they they grow with them in community. I think there's a, a power to that that we don't get if we never had the chance to build those relationships. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And um, I mean, this applies to a lot of different areas of this topic, but one comment I, I often make is, you know, sometimes we just sell kids short and we so often give them Mr. Rogers Jesus, yeah. you know, just this, this cute and cuddly, what a friend I have in Jesus and he, he's fun and he's funny and he's always there for you, he loves you, uh, which of course is certainly true, um, but we, we fail to do the, the Alpha and the Omega Jesus, you know, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Savior of all who bled and died and redeemed you and what does that mean for you and for older people like you say and, and, and for everyone what does that mean for how we live our lives and how that guy is living his life and how she's living her life and, and how they can learn that and, and, and model after that I think so important well as we're, we're probably just about at time and I, uh -huh. I think maybe that we, we could go down some different roads maybe in a future uh, episode or whatever but yeah, and uh, I think if, if you're willing to come back Phil I think there's a fair amount yeah, we definitely. could do with this and I'm looking uh, uh, Phil was able uh, kind enough to bring us copies of his uh, project uh, dissertation and I know uh, just for some people out there the difference between a PhD and a demon demon is a professional degree and so it's less of a dissertation and more of a project and the reason I bring that up right now is you know as I'm flipping through this this you know it's the same format that i had to do it's pretty yeah, here's right. the project here's the problem and uh you know it's interest this will be interesting to me but this is not going to be a bestseller in this format right yeah, <laughs> yeah so i am encouraging you if you've not already been um you know thought about this or been approached that um i know it's you can't just fix the fix the typos and put it to a publisher it's a lot more work for a demon project than a dissertation to be published but well, both are i would think this would be quite a bit of this would be a good book that would be sell, would would sell yeah, so well, i hope I, you're able to find some time to do that if not already yeah i mean i'd like to i um i'm obviously 
passionate about the topic as we each are about our subjects of, of study, but I, I have talked to a couple of publishers and maybe it emphasizes the point. I don't think everyone quite gets how big of an issue this has become in our mm-hmm. world and in the church world and um, how divisive it's becoming on, well, this is the right way to do it and this is the right way to do it. And uh, I think the continual thing that I'll emphasize is we're continuing to forget that it's it's the parents that we need to be teaching on how to be better parents and how to be Christian parents. And, you know, when it comes to children, I, I have a lot of thoughts about how we, we just need to rethink everything about mm-hmm. how we do catechism, maybe what age they commune at, um, mm-hmm. you know, what goes on in the homes today. If and only Luther would have put to the head of the household, uh, the head of the catechism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a crazy, it's a crazy thing. But uh, I think much like he wrote to Nicholas von Amsdorf, you know, uh, when he came back from those villages and said, boy, what a mess we have. Uh-huh. Um, I guess maybe that's been my thought about our, our America right now. What a mess we have. And there's a lot of, a lot of teaching to do. And, it, and the first step is to come to terms with it and want to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can do some more episodes on this. I think it's a kind of fascinating topic. And I think, <clears throat> you know, it it touches on so many various issues of what we do. Um, I like that you keep coming back to parents because it's not just a, a children's issue. Um, it affects the home. It affects the school. It affects what Sunday looks like. And so we'll um, we'll keep you to your word and be bugging you to be back with us. But I thank you for joining us. And as we... A lot of times I think we look at children in the church and um, we can come from a place of, of fear, right? What's the future of the church? What's going to happen? And we can jump um, to want quick fixes because that's what Americans do. And we've, we've outlined some of them um, that people might, might jump to. But at the end of the day, what I've, I've really appreciated about um, your approach, Phil, and I'm looking forward to reading through, is uh, it's gospel-centered and it's, it's focused on actual people not these sweeping um ideas or fads and so uh, when it comes to how we deal with children in the church or how we deal with parish as community uh what's what's the the ultimate thing that it boils down to in the end Phil? well let the bird fly uh, every evening when the sun goes down get with my party and i begin to cry i don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a janker. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. One more round won't get me down.